This is the Center for Strategic and International Studies Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. This is the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk here at CSIS in Washington. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. My guest today is Cherie Deans, Executive Director of the NBA Players Association Foundation, and we're talking about sports diplomacy. The NBA currently has 108 international players representing 42 countries and territories. They and their U.S.-born counterparts spend considerable time away from the court working in communities and donating resources to a variety of philanthropic activities, both abroad and here in the U.S. The Players Association Foundation supports them with their charitable efforts, as well as their efforts to be social entrepreneurs. Cherie, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you. Before we delve into the work uh, that's being done and what sports diplomacy really means, let's talk about you. You have a background in finance, and you worked in senior positions at AIG, where you were a vice president, MBNA, you were vice president of MBNA uh, America. You were also the executive director of the Admiral Center, where you worked with NBA legend and Naval Academy grad David Robinson. Yeah. So what led you to lead to leave the banking world for the philanthropy, fundraising, and foundation world? Yeah, I mean, honestly, life. Um, I, I was in banking. I, I started in banking right out of college. I loved it. Um, and I went from, as you mentioned, MBNA. I went and went to American Express after that in AIG. Um, and then the market crashed. Uh, First, Lehman Brothers um, imploded, and then AIG hit a real wall. And um, I was running their international sales uh, work for consumer finance, and they sold that business. And so I had to rethink my my life. Um, My husband's an educator and said, you know, you should really think about doing work that's a little bit more more closely aligned with your personal passion. And I came over into the world of philanthropy. um, And that the rest is history. And how do you use your banking experience with the players that you work with through the NBA Players Association Foundation? Yeah, so I, you know, in banking, I, I wasn't on the finance side. I was on the operations side. I was on the marketing side. And so I understand um, a, a few things. One, relationships and how they work. And I think that's the core of building any great partnership, which is what I spend most of my time doing. I understand operations. Uh, I understand branding. Uh, and I understand how to measure results. And so I'm able to take all of those skills that I learned in the banking world and apply them uh, to the work that I'm doing today. And I want to circle back to something you said, life happens. Yeah. (laughs) And in so many conversations that we've had with other women leaders on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast, they always mentioned things or they mentioned things in their life that happened that have an impact on their career trajectory. Um, Just want to get your advice for any women who may be listening to this on how do you deal with the unexpected when it comes up and and taking that time to think about what you really want to do. Yeah. So, you know, the, I just was I was speaking with an intern candidate today and he asked me the same question about this weird background that I have. Right. How did you start working in banking and then end up managing philanthropy for players? And um, and I said, you know what? What I was prepared for, what these opportunities um, 
presented me and and what none of no layoff can take away is the reputation that you've built. And so I worked very hard to build a reputation of being someone that gets things done, um, that is is great to work with, um, that is innovative and forward thinking. And so when it came time for me to turn the corner and do something new, everyone that knew me knew that I could do it. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I would advise everyone to really focus on on building your reputation um, because it's it's the one thing people can't take away. Let's talk about uh, the NBA Players Association Foundation. Uh, you're the first person to run the foundation. Yep. I understand it was dormant yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. So talk about the Players Association Foundation and what it does and what you do with the players. Right. So the, the foundation was actually started um, because of uh, a collective bargaining agreement about 20 years ago, almost 21 years ago now. And um, the players and the league agreed that half of the, all the fines that were going to be billed to the players would be split equally, um, and both would be used for philanthropic purposes, but the league would direct their half and the players would direct their half, um, and a, f- a 501c3 was was set up. Um, for, for many years, that 501c3 made minimal investments. Um, uh, you know, they really didn't spend a lot of time put, thinking about a strategy or putting in uh, staff to execute that strategy. Um, and I think we're going to talk about Michelle Roberts later, but when Michelle joined, she had a different vision. Um, um, in, in my work at the Admiral Center, I had been I had worked with Chris Paul uh, and his team. And uh, for those who may not know, Chris yeah, Paul is Chris Paul is my boss. But uh, Chris Paul is also an NBA All Star um, and point guard for the Houston Rockets. Um, He's also the president of the Players Association, um, and I think has probably led us, you know, the the association by all accounts to achieve higher heights than it's probably achieved in its 65-year history. But that's I I love Chris, so I'm going to say that. Um, yeah, and so you know, Chris and I sat down with Chris and Michelle, and they told me that they had this forty-one million dollar foundation, and you know, it was time that we put some real structure around it, and, uh, and I came in to lead it. You mentioned Michelle Roberts. She is the executive director of the NBA Players Association, which is the union that represents all of the players in the NBA. She is the first woman to head a major professional sports union of any kind. Um, And the two of you, I'm assuming, work closely together. And my question is, what's it like for two women to lead two organizations that are dominated by men. Yeah. Usually the reverse is true. The answer is it's completely normal to us. We don't <laughs> we don't know anything different. You know, I'm I'm very fortunate to work closely with Michelle. Um, we share a wall. Her offices are next door to one another. Um, you know, not you know, she's she's uh, she's technically my board member. She sits on the board of the foundation. Um, but she's become my mentor uh, uh, and and my friend although I um, you know, I won't force that on her, but <laughs> I, I've come to really appreciate her leadership um, and and the the liberty and freedom that she gives me to build that has given me to build this organization into something, you know, because it was really nothing before. And so that takes a lot of trust um, to do that. And how do the players respond to both of you in these very senior roles? I mean, you guys are the boss. Yeah. Um, so we, we you know we see it as them being the boss, right? So I really do 
we behave as if we work for them. Um, and that I think that changes the dynamic. Um, I, I want to credit them very publicly for having the vision to hire, um, without much hesitation, a woman to, you know, guide them, right? I mean, the, the stuff that I do is far less risky and, um, and connected to what's going to happen in their future. But, you know, Michelle is a person that's uh, uh, really guiding anything that happens related to their salaries, their pension, their health insurance. Like, their well-being um, is really tied to her ability to, to negotiate and lead effectively. And um, I think it takes really forward-thinking people to do that. But, um, but that's who I've come to know them all to be. Um, and so when we walk in into rooms, uh, I, I think they trust us the way they trust most of the women in their lives, to be honest. It, it just proves how smart they are that they would have hired us to do the work. Uh, now, talk about a little bit more about the, the work you do in helping the players uh, figure out what to do. Everyone knows the NBA players make a lot of money. Of course. Uh, yeah. uh, and... Uh, uh, Part of your job is to help them figure out what they want to do when they decide to start a charity or a foundation. Tell the audience a little bit more about that work. Right. So we are, um, as I mentioned, a 501c3 organization. We're a grant-making organization primarily. So, um, you know, we uh, when I first started the, the organization, I realized that we had to build, we had to put skin in the game with the players. Um, and so the, the biggest way that we work with them is we have a matching grants program. Um, players are very generous, uh, and, uh, and most of that, most of those investments go unheralded, really. Um, but what what we come along and do, almost like any employee giving program, uh, is match up to twenty five thousand dollars a year of investments that they make um, every year. So, uh, you know, through that process, we're able to get a little bit closer to the work that they're doing, and understand what's really important to them. Um, it's also that that work, you know, today has yielded 149 players that we've supported. So, um, and we do we we support some um, retired players as well. They're they're also eligible to apply. Um, but that's a that's a really large percentage of our group, and we're you know trying to get that number higher. It's also given us a sense of what they sort of collectively are interested in, and um, the rest of our time we spend cultivating our own portfolio of work um, that tries to push forward an agenda that we've sort of called out of the grants that they make individually. So we focus on um, youth sports. We of course respond to what's happening in the world. So we have we've made you know huge donations around disaster relief. Um, we've been in Flint for you know ever since the water crisis, and we've invested heavily in Flint. Um, we've made donations uh, related to March for Our Lives. So we you know we try to be as responsive as possible, um, without getting too far ahead of you know where where they're going. Um, and then the last thing that that we do is we're the historians for the union. So I sit on the board of the Hall of Fame. Um, we've done uh, we're, we're working on a document that should be released soon about basketball's Jackie Robinson. Um, Sir Oral Lloyd was the first African-American to ever play in the league. Most people have no clue who he is. Um, and so we're working on a documentary called The First to Do It. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're focused on telling the story from the player's point of view. And I want to dive deep now into what some of the players are doing that yeah. our listeners may not be aware of and where that fits in in the in the sphere of sports diplomacy. Mm -hmm. I, do, let me first ask, do you actively promote them 
engaging in sports diplomacy. And by that, I mean, uh, there's one player from the Dallas Mavericks, J.J. Barea, who has been helping in Puerto Rico. Uh, Retired player Tim Duncan has, uh, I believe I read, delivered 400,000 pounds of food to the U.S. Virgin Islands, which is where he's from. Um, A lot of people who listen to this podcast will be familiar with uh, the chef here in D.C., Jose Andres, who who worked in Puerto Rico. Tim Duncan has done the equivalent in the U.S. Virgin Islands, but you haven't really heard about that work. There's Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, from uh, uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, yeah. he built a women's clinic there and is focusing on health care and disease prevention. Yeah. Um, Sarah Jabaka from the Toronto Raptors is from the Republic of Congo, mm-hmm. and he has a foundation that's helping young people in yeah. his home country. And he's planning to open a hospital in the DRC as well. And there's a player, I believe, who actually bought equipment for the hospital where he was born in Senegal. Gorgi. Yeah, Gorgie Dang uh, from and, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, and and Gorgie, I mean Gorgie is amazing. But in addition to the work he's doing uh, on the medical front, Gorgie also has, I believe, it's fifty acres of land that he's turned into a teaching farm. So the the land in um in, in Senegal, Senegal is very hard to uh, to um, to plant on, and Gorgie personally has an is an. Uh, is in the agribusiness and grows peanuts that he sells to the government of Senegal for profit. Um, but he has a piece of his land that he uses as a teaching farm to help uh, people in remote villages learn how to plant and sustain more complicated crops. So, I mean, Gorgie's exceptional, <laughs> uh, but they're all exceptional. And I think your earlier question was, you know, do I have to help them? you know, think about this or Mm -hmm. think about diplomacy. They probably don't think of it as diplomacy, um, but I usually don't have to force them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, uh, my work is my work is really how to how to help them uh, achieve their mission more efficiently. Like, how can I come along and take the vision that they have for their community, for the world um, and support that and advance that? Because they don't, you know, they don't spend all day thinking about agribusiness or actually Gorgie probably does, um, but they don't spend all day thinking about this. So when they're ready to mobilize, what resources can I have in place so that they can move as quickly as they as they need to? I know that you don't have to help them think about it, but do you as an organization think about uh, the the benefits of these kinds of efforts oh, sure. and how they how that might reflect on the United States as a country um, and and the role that that might play in how someone in Senegal views the U.S. or someone yeah. in in the Congo? Yeah, I, I don't know that I, I thought of it that way, but I do believe that the world needs them. Um, I think that's the way I think about it. I think the, the energy that they bring, um, the authenticity that they bring to the work that they do, it's very difficult for other other people, honestly, to harness that. And so when when Gorgie or or JJ walk into a place and and they might be giving the same food that you or I might 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 provide because they did, they're doing it, it has different significance. Um, and the way that they're able to raise a flag or raise an alert um, and get attention around certain issues um, is exponential to, to what you or I could do. So I, I think it's, it's very important um, for the world that they're operating the way that they're operating. Um, and I think, uh, I, you know, I, I think there are probably countless examples of other celebrities and athletes that have 
have engaged in things that no one paid attention to before they paid attention to it. Um, and so it's it's in our best, it's in my best interest, it's all of our best interest to have their work be as effective as possible. Do you think the people in their home countries, uh, I'm sure that it, the benefit of that is that they now know the players yeah. or the teams that the the players play for, yeah. and that helps the NBA with its image abroad. I, I I'm sure uh, you know the the thing about hometowns is they're the same everywhere. I mean the minute the minute someone from your hometown makes it big, everyone celebrates in that and everyone appreciates that um, that achievement. And so you know when you when I I haven't had the pleasure of going to the DRC with Serge, but I saw a video of of him going one um, one year. I think it was the documentary it was called Son of the Congo, and there's a a, a very high chance that most of the people that are there have never actually seen a game, right? You had never actually seen an NBA game um, telecast or may not have TVs, but they know who Serge is and they know what he means. You know, they know what he means to the country. Um, I, there's no doubt that everyone understands who JJ is in Puerto Rico and what he means to Puerto Rico. Um, and they're all very proud. And that, and I think that pride of, um, of Kinship is so meaningful um, and so important, and I, I think it can bridge the gap uh, that exists between the United States and so many other countries. And you know, I, I think we can all agree that we need we need more diplomacy today. And so uh, the the notion that they're carrying a softer, gentler, more accessible side of the United States to other countries, I think, is welcomed. Um, and I, you know, I see it. We're we're going to be playing an Africa game, a game in in Johannesburg, um, and you know, there's another place where. We actually don't have a player that is uh, that is currently from South Africa, except for Tabo, who was raised in in Europe. Yet and still, everyone loves them, right? So they they go and they bring so much goodwill, um, and I think that matters and and it's helpful. Let me remind everyone, you're listening to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. I'm Beverly Kirk. Our topic today is sports diplomacy, and my guest is Cherie Deans. She's the executive director of the NBA Players Association Foundation. She's based in New York, and she made the trek to D.C. just to talk to us. Follow us on Twitter at Smart Women. I'm at Beverly Kirk. Follow Cherie at SF Deans, and let me spell that out for you. It's S-F-D-E-A-N-S. You can also follow the Players Association Foundation at the NBPA. Are you active on Twitter? Sometimes. Sometimes? <laughs> I'm a mom on Twitter a lot. And an outraged person, usually. Uh-huh. That's, that's... What does being a mom on Twitter mean? I have to follow up on that. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I have two sons. One is 14 and going to high school, and one is 10 months old. Um, and so, you know, they're the most important thing that I do. And so usually if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get a lot of that. Uh-huh. Um a lot of the 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 really divergent accomplishments that are happening, you know, graduating from middle school and standing, you know, like the, the two extremes. Um, so if you enjoy any of that, follow me. But you'll also see the you know the the other side, the work side of my life, and um, and the things that the players are doing, the things that the players are caring about. You'll see that too. I didn't mention uh, when we were talking earlier, Steph Curry from. 
Golden State, uh, providing shoes in the Congo and malaria nets in other parts of Africa. And I know we focused more on the players who are from abroad or um, in the case of JJ from Puerto Rico, which a reminder to the listeners is a part of the U.S., as is the U.S. Virgin Islands. Absolutely. (laughs) Part of the U.S. Um, But uh, the uh, players are doing work in this country. You mentioned uh, the player who is working on the water crisis in Flint. And are 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 you trying to encourage them to do as much here in the U.S. as the players do abroad? Uh, yeah, the, I I think that what I'm watching them do, is, I think especially as our our national di- discourse gets more cantankerous, is that they're starting to get very local with their philanthropy. I'm, I mean, I, I don't have any data to show this, but that's what I'm, I'm observing, mm-hmm. that there's a sense of I've got to stay close to the communities that um, that that uh, that fostered me and raised me and that are really suffering. Um, and so there are players that work very internationally. You mentioned Steph. You know, Steph also works really closely with the Obama Foundation on issues related to boys boys and men of color. Um, so, you know, uh, JaVale McGee is another example of a player that um, that that is building um, uh, water pumps, I believe, in Tanzania. Um, but then he also does all kinds of education about healthy living and uh, and wellness um, in California. So, you know, there there are a lot of players that have dual roles. Paul, Paul, Paul Gasol and Mark Gasol are great examples. Um, they, they have a health and wellness program um, focused on children and expectant mothers out of California, but then they also have a wealth, wellness program in Spain. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, guy, the, these are worldly people. Um, they're citizens of the, of the, of the world as, as opposed to just the cities they play in or the cities they're from. So it's not unusual to see players be really locally focused uh, or be focused uh, in the United States and then also focused on something that's happening in the world. The stories that you've been talking about here uh, may not be what people have uppermost in their mind when you say the words professional basketball player. Uh, They may have other images. How important is it for you to try to get this image out there so that people maybe have a more complete view of what players are about and what they do when they're not on the court. Yeah, it, it is important. Um, and, and we, we work at that. And, and I think on some level as, um, as consumers of media, we've got to pay more attention to the stuff that really matters. I think we're all so, um, so desensitized to uh, to meaningful things, and uh, and we're 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 taking in a lot of things that are not really helpful. Um, and so most people can probably tell me who all of these guys are dating or what they wore, <laughs> um, but there's probably a story about what they've done right next to it, and we're not we're just not receptive to it. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of how can we tell the story in different ways, um, and these stories are complex, right? They're deep and they're complicated, um, but I think there are ways that 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 uh, that we're going to try to work on to make them more consumable um, so that people can not just get the information but get the inspiration that's attached to them. Why do you think it's harder for people to accept these kinds of stories 
uh, about players, whereas they don't have any trouble accepting if a player is dating one person and starts dating another person or if they have gotten into some kind of trouble and that's in the news. Right, right. I mean, because we like gossip. It's, it's you know, I think that's the universally unfortunate thing about our society um, is that we'd rather hear snarky things about people um, or bad, negative things about people. Um, I mean, there, there are literally arguments about whether athletes deserve a right to have a political voice. I mean, there, there are there are people that are in positions of power and influence that say that. Um, Someone did say, absolutely, shut, shut up, up and, and dribble, <laughs> right? And dribble. Yes, you know, shut up and dribble. So, and that's not that's not the first time that's happened. Uh, I mean, I feel like it happens to John Legend every day. Um, so that there is, I think there really is this sort of. Uh, thought that um, unless I agree with you, um, a celebrity, I just need you to do, I just need you to entertain me um, and entertain me either in your chosen profession or with your personal life or with your attire. Um, but I don't, I don't want you feeding me any knowledge unless I agree with you. Um, and so I think, I think we, you know, we've got, we've got to leave space for, um, for them that, to, to teach us some of the things that they know as leaders and as, um, as world figures, because they are. Uh, uh, and they're received that way outside of the United States. Talk more about how that works. I mean, Dikembe, Dikembe Mutombo is a great example. I mean, Muhammad Ali is a great example. I mean, there are, the, the reality is there are countless examples of, um, even bad examples, of of times where America has been ostracized, where where our talented individuals, whether athletes or celebrities, have been well-received outside of the country and have allowed people to connect with us in ways that um, that they couldn't otherwise. Uh, and so, Back you know... Back to the point of sports diplomacy. Sports diplomacy, right? It, it can break down walls. The simplicity of it, um, the enjoyment of it, the honesty of it um, creates, uh, creates an open door for people to engage um, and imagine um, and and enjoy and connect uh, in in the same way music does, you know. Um, so I, I think there I think we have to we have to we should honestly invest in in their their them becoming stronger ambassadors um, instead of uh, alienating them and marginalizing them. And as we wrap up here, my final question for you is at a time when a lot of the attention is on what athletes are saying about politics and society and race. Um, How do you, I, I guess, how do you deal with that and have it not take away from these other things that we've talked about that are positive and having an impact in places around the world? You know, I think first I would say I'm really happy I'm not them. I'm happy I don't have to be disinvited from places and and um, and take some of these questions. Um, what what I do believe is that they're smart enough to know how interconnected some of the work they're doing is. And so, you know, people will say, well, why aren't you know why aren't more players speaking up about social justice or race issues or um, but I can give you countless examples. I can pull out examples there of players that are doing work in communities that are not being served 
mainly because of who they are, right? Um, and and so I think I think the players understand that they understand the inequality, they understand um, the complexity of the issues that we're dealing at, and they're they're just getting to the root cause of the issue and addressing that. And and just like uh, the the rest of the world, some people are talkers, and some people are doers. We need both. <laughs> you know, there's there, I'm not putting any um, any value uh, on one over the other, um, but I think a a lot of them have just decided this is this is the the change that I'm going to navigate and push forward today, on behalf of you know for the betterment of the world, uh, and they're just doing it. Well, Cherie Deans, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a fascinating conversation, and because I am a basketball fan, I'm oh, a native. Great. I'm a native Kentuckian, so basketball kind of oh, is in man. my blood. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Beverly. And thank you for listening. Our guest today, Cherie Deans, Executive Director of the NBA Players Association Foundation. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Beverly Kirk. We're at Smart Women. And Cherie is at SF Deans. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. For more information, go to CSIS.org and subscribe to our podcasts.